Starting in verse 1, uh, Exodus chapter 32, I'll begin reading, and we're going to read the first 19 verses. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us, for as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off your golden earrings that are in your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is, then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down. For your people, I love the God says your people, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, they have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. you imagine God says that about the United States right now? I would say that he does. Remember, Israel is the apple of his eye. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and that I may consume them, and I'll make, a, and I'll make out of you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt and your great power with a mighty hand? Moses recognized that he didn't bring them out. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land and I have spoken of, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented and the harm which he would do to his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, and on the one side and on the other side they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, Joshua was waiting about midway down, and they shouted, and said to Moses, there, and there's a noise of war in the camp. But he, he being Moses, said, It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was as soon as he came down near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain." If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word this morning, Choosing Idolatry. Choosing Idolatry. No one can make you choose idolatry. That's my choice. That's your choice. No one can force you to choose something other than God. 
but we in our hearts can choose something other than God. There's four primary characters here, if you will, in this 19 verses, the story that many people have heard, because uh, even unsaved people have heard about the golden calf, even though they don't sometimes have any kind of understanding about what it was, but they've kind of heard it somewhere along the way. There's four primary characters. You have Moses, who's up with the Lord for 40 days, 40 nights, receiving, among other things, the Ten Commandments, all the instructions on how to build the tabernacle, the priestly garments, the ornamental, uh, all the utensils in the, in the tabernacles. So you have Moses with God for 40 days. If that doesn't change a human being, what would, right? Being in the literal presence of God for 40 days, being literally transformed, the glory of God will end up shining on his face. You have Moses himself completely surrendered to God in the presence of God. You have Aaron, who is a godly man, and is Moses's, for lack of a better term, sidekick, right? He's number two. He serves at Moses, but in a sense, he has a t- if, if Moses wasn't around, he'd be number one because he's the high priest. Aaron was given the priesthood. Aaron is the man that Moses says, while I'm gone, keep teaching the people. Keep discipling them. Keep them from evil. Then you have the children of Israel themselves. And even inside that, you kind of break it down to two because there's, there were some that didn't fall away. But in a larger sense, the whole camp was tainted with sin. All the people, the children of Israel. You've got them, Aaron, Moses, and then you have God himself who is not only with Moses, but he's also, because God is everywhere, he sees exactly what's happening down in the camp while he's with Moses. So God is everywhere. God is right here in this place with us, but yet he sees somebody sinning right now somewhere in Richmond that's not in church, that is not walking with the Lord, that's never been saved. God is observing every idolatry, idolatrous act on planet Earth at this very moment. You know how many sins have been committed since the, the day started today? on planet earth. And you and I have committed some of them. Praise God for grace. Amen. But yet God is the fourth and by far the most important of the actors are seen in this chapter. And yet we want to look at with this first understand that you have Moses here. And when you look at the people involved, because God is not a man, he's far above humanity. He's holy, but you have Moses is just a man like you and me. Aaron, just a man like you and me. The children of Israel, just men and women like you and me. Moses is not discouraged because he's in the presence of God. Aaron becomes very discouraged and weak, and the people, well, they flat out rebel. And you want to understand that in, in, the, in the Christian life, we can find ourselves in those three places. We can find ourselves walking in harmony with God. We can find ourselves weak and discouraged like Aaron becomes. Or we can find ourselves in just total rebellion. It's not weak and discouraged. It's flat out, I know what you said, I'm not going to do it. Which is a dangerous place to be when we look at the consequences of that next week. But let's start out looking at this delayed and deceived. Now Moses, as, as the text tells us, and we know this, um, from earlier in the chapters, 
we know that Moses was with the Lord for 40 days in the presence of God. And no one knew how long. He said, I'm going up to the mountain. But he, get, he gave no time frame when he'd be back. But usually when we meet and, and interact with people, whether they give us a time frame or not, we have one in mind. You drop your car off, you have in mind how long it's going to take to get fixed, right? When they tell you this is going to take two or three days, you're less than happy, right? And no matter what the reason, oh, we don't have the part you need or this, that, and the other, you don't feel great about it, but you don't really know how long something's going to take at times. And certainly when it comes to God, God doesn't always tell us how long we'll have to wait. When we wait, he's testing us. What will we do if we don't hear exactly what we want, when we want, how he should speak to us, and what happened to our leader? Moses certainly hasn't abandoned them, but yet he's not there, and they expected him back. In the truest sense, God is never actually delayed. We all understand that, right? In the truest sense, God is never delayed in sending either his word himself or his servants, which could be angels or people. We see this throughout the scriptures. If there is a delay, it's always intentional on the part of God or allowed by God to test us in this waiting period. Jesus warns of this when he speaks to the church. The church of Laodicea comes to mind, the final church and the letters, seven letters to the churches. You and I are living in the Laodicean age, and you understand that Jesus left and went back to the Father over 2,000 years ago. Peter writes about this, that some will think this is slackness, or, hey, God has forgotten to come back or send his son. What's going on? So a lot of people, when the longer Jesus takes to come back, the colder their love for him becomes, and they fall away because he went up, as it were, and he's not come back down yet though he really will come back. Amen? And he warns of this. In Luke 12, verses 45 and 46, he says, But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and is to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him. And he'll be just as angry as Moses was when he got to the base of the mountain. At an hour when he is not aware, and he will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the unbelievers. Meaning that somebody who at one time had what looked like genuine faith, the delay of the master, the master being Christ himself, begins to act like the world, takes on the world's violence and immorality, and starts to have the same nature. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, their nature no longer is Christ-like. They become like the world. They watch the things the world watches. They absorb the things the world loves. They love the same things, and they no longer think that their master will hold them accountable. They've lost the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. In Matthew 25, 5, Jesus says, But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. That's another way that people become like the world is just to kind of sleep on the job. Jesus warned about that, remember the garden. He said, can you not pray one hour? Because when we're not staying close to the Lord, we're only going to go farther away. It's an all or nothing proposition. We either stay with him or we can quickly, quickly reel. And it, uh, it can be tragic 
what will take place. But Moses' absence, more than anything else, his absence was an excuse on the part of the people to act on the impulse of the flesh. Now, we all have impulses of the flesh, don't we? And, and some of them are not immoral. Some of them are just, uh, again, just the cravings of the flesh. Uh, some of you guys experience this when you go into Bass Pro Shops, right? Your wallet says one thing, your eyes say another, right? We could probably get the boat. I mean, it, it couldn't put us that much in debt, could it? And we could, pro- I mean, th- and you start finagling things. And really, if Jesus was standing beside you, he would say, Have you lost your mind? You can't afford the toy boat. What are you talking about? And even if you could afford it, you would be so drawn away from me, literally out into the middle of the sea. God knows what every person can handle. Somebody can have that, and it not pull them away. Other people can't. I'm glad that I have the Holy Spirit to tell me what I can and can't handle. Aren't you? But if you disobey that voice and say, I want it anyway, it's not always alcohol or some immorality. A lot of times, God just is stuff. Remember, this is a golden calf. God God wants to save you from your desire for golden calves, and they're out there. But their excuse here, just to act on the impulse of the flesh, is to push it off on Moses being delayed. Well, if Moses hadn't been gone so long, we wouldn't feel this way. It's always somebody else's fault, isn't it? The way we think or what we want. It's always someone else. If so-and-so wouldn't have done this or God wouldn't have allowed this, rather than our own accountability, it seems although many had left Egypt, Egypt had not left them, isn't it? Yeah, Egypt was the center of the world. Egypt had all the worldly pleasures. Egypt had the money, the Las Vegas, the New York City, the lifestyle. The Egyptians were renowned for their beautiful garments, the Egyptian cotton and silk, and all the traders from the world came there, and Egypt was magnificent, kind of like the United States is today. And even though they had left there, some still had tucked away a little bit of Egypt in their heart, which was now festering more the longer Moses delayed. And them hearing the daily preaching of the word, and we'll get to where Aaron is failing in this respect anyway, but nevertheless, they were being drawn away by their own desires. Interesting to consider that all the while that some of them were slaves. Remember, they were all slaves. They were all slaves. Brutal slavery under the Egyptians. They were all slaves, but interesting to consider that while they were in slavery, it's apparent that some of them longed not so much for deliverance from God, but to be set free to do the same idolatrous, materialistic things the Egyptians were doing. And you see this all the time with people. When God uh, delivers people, instead of them turning to God, they take the deliverance. Let's say, I've seen people, and you have too, unsaved people that let's say they were diagnosed with uh, cancer, and they're healed, and then four months after they're healed, they're back living in sin. And you're like, Are you, do you have any gratitude that God, he now has said, no, 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 it must not have been him that set me free. And they still had this desire to live the same way as the Egyptians, so much so that what they built, the, remember the Egyptians, one of their gods was a bull. 
And so they make a calf that is exactly the kind of thing that the Egyptians worship. Say, we don't just want any idol, we want one that looks like the Egyptians. And it's gold, and it's beautiful. And here lies the deception. Notwithstanding God's judgment on Egypt, they were aware that God judged Egypt. They hadn't forgotten that God had judged Egypt, that he had uh, you know, sent the plagues and destroyed Pharaoh's army uh, in, the, um, in the Red Sea. Notwithstanding God's judgment on Egypt for their enslavement of Israel and their refusal, and Pharaoh's specifically refusal to let them go, some of the children of Israel probably felt deep in their own hearts that the ways of the Egyptian, in other words, the Egyptians would have been, they would have been great if they just didn't enslave us. Other than that, their lifestyle was perfect. This is such a satanic deception, isn't it? We look on, people, people are like this way all the time. They'll, people that are, that are in the house of God will look on the world and say, well, most everything they do is perfect if only they just tweak this one little thing. If they just didn't enslave us, other than that, their lifestyle was great. And I'd like to be just like them. Longing for the world, as John warns of in 1 John, the lust of the world, the pride of life. But to believe this lie, to believe this lie is to reject a whole lot of truth, isn't it? They saw God deliver them they not only saw God deliver them, they saw God defeat the idols of Egypt. Remember, Pharaoh was a god. The, the calves or the, the cattle were, were specifically judged in that particular god. They saw the gods of Egypt one by one. A god had actually defeated each of their, not all of because Egypt had many gods, but many of the gods were defeated in actually the plagues themselves. They saw the entire army go down. But not only that, they get to the other side of the Red Sea, and God, their God, provides manna, bread that literally comes down from heaven. That doesn't happen every day, does it? Never happened in my house. It's Quaker Oats and stuff like that, stuff that we bring out. It would be amazing if I came down and, and God had put manna on the table. I asked my wife, did you make it? I didn't make it. Who put it here? I don't know who put it here. We recognize that every day it shows up. And it would, except for it didn't show up for them on the Sabbath. They'd pick up twice as much the day before. But God provided them manna. And most importantly, as we saw back in Exodus chapter 20, before Moses goes up the mountain to receive the commandments, they actually heard God speak to them. Remember, in thunders and lightnings, and it was so loud, and, and God tells them his commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, I know the Ten Commandments, and I've read the commandments, and so if you've been here with us or you've read them on your own, we've heard from God because this word is living and breathing. But I have never heard God's literal voice speak to me the Ten Commandments. Have you? They did. They had never heard an Egyptian god speak to them because Egyptian gods could not speak to them. But they heard the true and living God speak to them. And it was the first and second commandments, right, that God says, no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves any graven image. 
first and second commandments. What is the first ones they break here? First and second commandments. They take another God and they make an image of it. For, you know, forget going to the bottom of the list. They just go straight for the top two. And they capture a bunch of others along the way, like covetousness and other things. Self-deception. Understand this. The children of Israel were self-deceived. Self-deception in their life and our life is never a lack of information, but ignoring of information. Would you agree with that? Self-deception is never a lack of information. It's you ignore the facts that God has already given you. And you say, and this is like someone believed in evolution, right? It's not that there's not enough evidence that God is the creator of heaven and earth. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. It's people ignore that because if they receive that truth, they're stuck with the fact that they must have to obey God or face him someday. So it's easier to believe a fairy tale. That's why I love Ray Comfort's book on evolution, A Fairy Tale for Grown-Ups. And it is. But it's a fairy tale that it will land you in hell if you believe those kind of fairy tales. If Moses was delayed in returning, or if Christ is taking longer to return for the church than some people might expect, and yet the commandments of God, think about it, Jesus takes longer than you expect, or the church expects. Moses takes longer than the people, children of Israel expect. If God takes longer to do what he says he's going to do, I will come back and I will bring back, in Jesus' case, I'll bring back deliverance from this world. In Moses' case, I'll bring back the word of God and all of his instructions for us for living and going forward into the promised land. That's all the things he was going to bring back. I'll bring God's commandments, how we're going to go forward, everything we need to know to become the victorious nation that God's called us out of Egypt to be. Hold tight, stay with the Lord, and I'll be back soon. Jesus tells the disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'll come back and bring you to me myself. Hold tight. Don't leave anything I've asked you to do. Yes, sir. Ten minutes later. Let's make a golden calf. Right? Because God says how quickly, how quickly they've turned from the commandment. God's like, do you understand how fast? It's a little more than a month. And they've turned away from me. If Moses is delayed, if Christ is delayed, and yet if God's commandments are still true and unchanging, it would be irrelevant that any delay would actually change our response to what he's commanded us to do. The blessing will not change if we obey, and the consequences will not change if we disobey. It doesn't matter. What if Moses stays up there for 60 days? They should continue to serve God all 60 days. What if it's 80 days? Keep serving God for 80 days. Nothing changes because if you disobey, as we'll see next week, consequences are coming. If you obey, blessings are coming. I like blessings better than consequences, don't you? I'd rather have the blessing of God on my life than the hand of judgment. Think about this. Under your sink, I know under my sink, just to verify, I pulled out some cleaning products under my sink to relook. When I was a kid, they had the Mr. Yuck face on the cleaning products. They don't do that anymore. It just says, warning, do not let children, do not let near children, do not drink, do not swallow, do not ingest, do not digest. And there's like this long thing. I'm like, I get it. Don't drink it. But uh, all these different things are on there. It's on all the cleaning products. Now, if you've taught your children, I've taught my children, 
Never, ever, 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 no matter how tasty that blue Drano looks, I know it looks like it's blueberry flavored. It's not. Drink a cup full of that, and we will not be seeing you anymore. And we want you here for a long time. Do not ever drink it, no matter how pretty it is. Some are red. Some smell lemony, like uh, Cascade. No matter how great they smell, don't drink them. But if you go on vacation, well, they've gone about a week. I guess that doesn't hold true anymore. Because if mom and dad are gone, maybe what they said doesn't... What does that have to do with the truth? It doesn't matter if I'm on vacation or not. This thing I told you that will kill you will still kill you. And if you don't drink it, you still avoid that type. You see the folly of our self-deception? God says, do not do this, don't ever do this, don't ever do this, don't ever do this. And if you can rationalize a scenario where drinking Drano isn't going to hurt you, God will say, be my guest. But notice also one thing before we move on. Notice the ringleaders of this self-deception. might escape your attention if you weren't looking closely. Look at verse 2. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters. Dads. It's a week after Father's Day. Who were the ringleaders of this deception? Men and fathers. Break off the golden earrings. You fathers that want the world instead of God, go ahead, sacrifice your wives, sacrifice your kids, sacrifice everything if that's what you want, because Aaron's really tired of them, is what it comes down to. Aaron's like, if that's what you want, if you want to go ahead and kick, if you're, if you're in your mind, you think you can kick God to the curb, go for it. Go ahead, men. Go ahead, fathers. Go ahead and throw it all out the window. Bring it on in here. I'll make you your golden calf if that's really what you want. I cannot believe you'd want to go and serve the same gods that were beating you on the back as slaves. But if that's what you want to do, go ahead. And that's where Aaron gets to. But the fathers are the ringleaders here. Instead of eternally minded dad, we have some seriously deceived dads. Seriously deceived. They've lost complete eyesight of the fact that their gods brought judgment on Egypt, and the same God that judged Egypt will judge them too. God's no respecter of persons, is he? doesn't matter if you're a descendant of Abraham or not. If you're going to disobey God, you're going to receive his chastisement. If you're saved, his chastening. If you're not, his absolute judgment. Look at verse 3. So all the people broke off the earrings. All the people. Well, it must be okay because everyone else is doing it. It must be fine. It doesn't matter if everyone else breaks off their earrings. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If all of the United States accepts something now as moral when it's immoral, I couldn't care less. How about you? Because God doesn't listen to them. He's the one that owns the gold and the ears that it's on. So he's not concerned with whatever. Well, everyone else is, even let's say you've got some dad there that was waiting patiently for Moses, and he wasn't deceived, but he sees all the other dads doing it and says, well, I guess I, well, all right, kids, let's go. 
Let's do what they're doing. How tragic, isn't it? When we look at the consequences next week, sometimes just following the crowd, even if you're not really, well, I don't really believe what they believe, but that's what everyone's thinking. It's so deceptive. Let's look at the next desire and discouragement. There's two big failures in the, in the people characters here. Aaron has a major failure here. Many of you probably have read this before and said, what's up with Aaron here? Why would he make him a golden calf? Well, you've got the people who are bent on evil. And you've got Aaron who's trying to hold the tide, but he's not doing it in the strength of the Lord. He's been doing it in his own strength for a little while. We'll get to why that is so... Uh, it's, it's really one of those things that we have to guard against. Amen? Because Aaron loves the Lord. He really does. Aaron is a godly man that, that finally buckles under the constant battering and buffeting and pressuring of the people 40 days of their incessant, where's Moses? Where's Moses? Where's Moses? Now, again, there's things that Aaron should have been doing but the big failures here, one is, a, one is falling and buckling under the pressure, and the other is diving into sin. What the children of Israel do is not falling and buckling, and that's actually just, uh, it's doing a cowabunga off the cliff, run for it. Whereas Aaron is carrying like a lot of weight and, and finally just gives up. In a moment of, it's similar to where Moses gets frustrated and smites the rock later. Where in anger, you can see these people will bring a pastor to their limit. Not you people, no. <laughs> but that's what Aaron and Moses are shepherds. And the people will drive them to their absolute limit to the point where Aaron says, I don't care. Go ahead and worship a false god. Moses gets to the point where he will finally get angry enough to smite the rock. And he loves these people and pleads for them. So you know that certain things will push. Parents, have your kids ever pushed you over the edge? Oh, no, no, not me. I'm too spiritual for that. No, no, no. They've never pushed me over the edge. They've never said one last thing. That, that They've never said, when are we going? When are we going? When are we going? When are we going? You know, it's like... Aaron's driving the van with the whole group in the back. Where's Moses? When are we going to get there? You know, all the... We want a new TV. We want a new TV. We want, you know, whatever it is. But they wanted a big golden calf. And it's all an excuse on their part. But you understand the two different types of failures. Diving into sin, which is utter rebellion, and falling People do, you know, I'm much more gentle with people that fall into sin than people that dive into sin. When they dive into sin, we're going to be gentle with them too, but not in the same way. People that dive into sin, they need to hear a thus saith the Lord. But people that fall need to be built back up. You notice Moses and God don't judge. You'll see when we get the consequences. Aaron is not dealt with harshly by the Lord or by Moses, even though he fails miserably here. The other good thing we'll see next week is when you do fail, and we do fail, that God really understands the source of our failures and will build us back up if we humbly repent. Amen? And I love Aaron. Because I love when I see people that fail because it, it reminds me that God can still use us when we fail. 
And he does. What the people's response should have been, not Aaron. Aaron really was serving the Lord. But he ended up serving in his own strength for a period of time. I don't know how long. I don't know if it, it was by the 15th day that he stopped doing his devotions or whatever it was and, and said, I need to cater to their every whim and let me run over here and minister to this family and let me run over here and minister to this family. And you know, like Ray Comfort said when he was a pastor, running alongside, are you reading your Bible? I'll read it for you and that kind of stuff. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that drives shepherds nuts, right? And so Aaron, I don't know. I'll do your devotions, you know, I'll, you know whatever. And the people, on the other hand, they should have been serving the Lord. You know, in Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, when Jesus went into Capernaum, uh, right there on the uh, Sea of Galilee, the little town is still there today, very much, much smaller. But when Jesus had come into Peter's house, it says he saw his wife's mother, or his mother-in-law, lying sick with a fever. So Jesus touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served. When the children of Israel were touched and set free out of Egypt, their response for the rest of their life was to be to serve God. Not to say, where's Moses? Not to say, when are we going to get the instructions? Not to say, we didn't get enough instructions. They had more than enough instructions. If God speaks to you by his literal voice and gives you 10 commandments, you don't need more. Amen? You don't need me to tell you if, if you're Moses or a pastor or something, if God literally spoke the Ten Commandments to you, why would you need Moses to tell you another thing? You actually had God himself literally tell you the Ten Commandments. And I don't know about you, but ten's a, a long enough list. I don't need 20 or 40 commands. I keep my bullet points to three because most people can't remember. And remember, they broke the first two. They didn't even get to number three. So God spoke directly to them, and yet they still didn't Oh, we don't have enough from God, and we need something else. They should have, like when Peter's mother-in-law was healed, she rose up and said, where can I serve? And that's what she did. But they didn't. They rose up to play. Big, big difference. Their desire was for pleasure, not holiness. A lot of people want deliverance from God so they can, when they pray, Lord, give me a new higher-paying job so I can buy more stuff and spend even less time with you? Now, they don't pray that, but that's deep in the recesses of their heart. God says, I would never listen to you. Because, now, if he really loves you, he'll say, no way, because I know what you would do with that. Make me a millionaire. I promise I'll give a lot more to the church. God said, no, you won't. You'll buy a beach and a lake house. Right? Right? The Lord knows the intentions of people's heart. He knows my heart. He knows your heart. He knows where your weaknesses are. He knows the things that easily deceive you. But they were seeking pleasure. They wanted God. Here's what they wanted from God. No more chains. Check. No more beatings on the back. Check. Food. Check. They got these things, right? Now that we got all this stuff, we want a nice house we want this desert to turn into palm trees. We want a pool. We want cable TV with 247 channels. We want the following things, and God uh, will give you an hour on the Sabbath. that okay? And that's what they wanted. And they wanted these things, the bondage of Egypt. They had forgotten the bondage of Egypt, but they didn't forget the pleasures of Egypt. Because all the time they were beaten as slaves, they were looking on longingly at the Egyptians, saying, 
They get to go home to their pool. They get to go home here. They get to worship in those beautiful temples and palaces. When we worship, it's in a mud house to a God we've never seen before. They get to see pictures of their gods. They have sphinxes. They have this. They have that. And they were actually wanting and looking with longing eyes. The same way Lot and his family looked at Sodom and says, looks like they're having so much fun over there. And Abraham says, no, you don't want to go near that place. But yeah, I do. You see the Walmart they built there? Right? They got everything over there. Sorry, Randy. Maybe it's Target they saw. I don't know. <laughs> but not everyone in the house of God is actually in God. And we're reading in this autobiography of D.L. Moody's life, uh, when he goes over to London the second time he went to England, uh, he goes there not to preach. He doesn't, no one even knows he's there. Uh, he went by himself, sitting in the back of uh, John Lessie's church there in London, just taking notes because he wanted to learn from the greatest teachers in the world. At that time, some of the best, most godly pastors on planet Earth were in England at that time. Don't want to know why God blessed England during that time, but he did. There were some godly men like Spurgeon and F.B. Meyer and John Plessy. And, these, and so he sits in the back there, and uh, the pastor recognized that it's D.L. Moody. I mean, Moody was known for the great church that the Lord had raised up there in Chicago and the thousands that had come to Christ under his ministry. And he recognizes Moody, pleaded with Moody to preach a Sunday morning service because he's like, you're here. I can't have you just taking notes on my stuff. I need you to... He preaches and no one listens the first session. He goes, he's like, I, I was preaching. It was falling on deaf ears. But the night, the same church people came back at night and he preached and 400 stood to get saved in John Leslie's church. And Moody's looking at it and saying, I don't think y'all heard me. I said, who wants to receive Christ their Lord and Savior? If you've done that, stay standing. And all 400 stay standing. He's like, well, if you really mean this, go into the inquiry room. All 400 go in the inquiry room. And he realized that even though this grand church had a lot of people, a bunch of them were still in Egypt until the God got a hold of their heart. And some of the children of Israel, they were still in Egypt in their hearts. They had this desire for the world that was still an insatiable desire. They had been quenched by thirst by the Lord on a number of occasions, given food, but they didn't want that. They wanted the worldly food. They wanted what the world had to offer. Others, again, I think others in that group probably fell away temporarily because they just kind of looked at the culture around them, the people around them, and says, well, I guess this is normative. Why am I studying my Bible like crazy? None of the other Christians here do. They weren't Christians, but I'm taking you back to Israel for a second. Why do I worship so much? Why do I volunteer my time? Why do I go to Bonaire? None of these other believers are doing it, so I'm going to join them. Bad mistake. Always be willing to be on an island with the Lord than be on the cruise ship with the world. Because that thing's headed for like the Concordia, right? Tipped over on its side. Cruise ships don't look too attractive anymore, do they? After uh, you know, three or four days at sea and you know, toilets not working and everything else. I mean, it's such a picture of where the world is. That's the cruise the world thinks. It's going to be beautiful, and it really ends up a disaster. All of these folks, the ones that were diving into sin and the ones that were slowly eroding and begin to just follow the course, 
It's so important that you and I, we have to stay close to Jesus. Personally. Not through, not through my preaching on Sunday, not through Dr. David Jeremiah on the radio, not through whatever it is that you catch. That I mean, those are good things. Alistair Begg, I, I like those teachers as well, and I think that, but you can't grow and stay close to the Lord with someone else's relationship. You have to have your own Moses relationship with God, amen? And if you stay there, you're not affected by what everyone else does, because you're, you're seeing with God's eyes, you're saying, well, God, why would I ever do that? I don't care if 99.999% of America goes that route, you don't go that route. And if God be for you, who can be against you, Paul wrote. And that's when you're close to the Lord. When you're close to the Lord, he will reveal to you sins and weights and hindrances in your life before they become gigantic, cancerous things in your life. Isn't that great? And it's, I thought allergy season was over. I realized this week it's not. And so I have to immediately address, all right, I, 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 it's not over yet. I need to, be, you know, there's things that I have to do to make sure that, you know, I'm not inundated because I actually have to preach on Sunday and my throat's not too raw or something. And you realize that you address things before they become bigger problems. And God, when I have a personal relationship with God and he shows me, hey, hey, that's out of balance. It's God rebuking me instead of having to have Moses or Aaron rebuke me. God rebukes me, it comes back into alignment, and then I'm less likely to fall away with the whole rest of the people and then take my earrings out and my earpiece out and everything else out and just throw it all out there. And that's what happens. If we don't, we go from little problems to golden calves, big ones that we're now bowing down before. And you wonder how people get to that place. Like, how would they? I, I, they used to have such a great walk with the Lord. Now they're they just seem to have no care, no desire for the Lord whatsoever. Well, it started with they just, many times, just drifting slowly, slowly away from the Lord. No prayer time, no time in His Word, no praising the Lord in worship. Notice the contrast. Moses, not only has he been with the Lord for 40 days, guess what? He hasn't eaten for 40 days. Now, miraculously, he hadn't eaten or drank because the Holy Spirit was actually giving him living water. Only God can do that. You and I would be dead after three days, but people can fast for 40 days. People have done it. You know, quite a few people have done it. Moses hasn't eaten for 40 days as he's drawing near to the Lord. The people, well, they were eating, they were drinking, they were playing. They didn't ask God, do you want us to fast for a day for Moses? That the direction he gets, that we're praying with him for the direction of this place and where we're going, Lord, and to the promised land. They didn't ask, can we fast a day? Can we fast two days? Can we fast three days? Instead of asking where Moses was, let's go where Moses is into the presence of God. Not up on the mountain, because they weren't allowed to go up, but they were allowed to spend as much time praying as anyone else would. But they didn't do that with their time. And what are you doing with your time? What am I doing with my time? They didn't use it to draw near to the Lord. 
They weren't pursuing God. They weren't pursuing His holiness. And when they weren't doing that, of course, they're not going to have God reminding them and cleansing them and sanctifying them and purifying them and keeping them from their own, own evil hearts. Jeremiah tells us the heart is deceitfully wicked, and who can understand it? I love what Pastor Lewis Neely told us when we were up at the pastor's conference. He goes, I'm 24 hours away from being backslidden every day. And really, you're 20 minutes away sometimes, right? That's why hour by hour, minute by minute, with the Lord. That's why Paul said, pray without ceasing. Always stay in the presence of the Lord. You spend 40 days away from God while Moses is spending 40 days with God, and you have yourself two polar opposites, don't you? 40 days where they're ignoring the Lord. No, they wanted to rest from God. They wanted to not be near the Lord. They wanted to rest from the Lord. They wanted to enjoy themselves. I just want to kick back for a month. Time out, Aaron. Moses. Yeah, they were poor slaves before, but now they had gold. Remember, before they left, God heaped a bunch of treasure in their hands. They went from being nothing to lotto winners. Right? They hit the jackpot on the way out. They had gold now. We, we, we can make earrings. We can make nose rings. We can make bracelets, necklaces. We couldn't afford any of that stuff. The Egyptians didn't give us anything. Now we have gold. We have, we, our credit card actually has, we can buy stuff. Even here in the desert. If we can't buy it, we'll make it. They now craved and could enjoy for themselves the same type of external fulfillment that the pagans and the pagan nations around them enjoyed. Worship of gold and silver. They desired pleasure and amusement and fleshly fulfillment rather than a relationship with God. This is the opposite of what Moses was experiencing. You have complete opposites here. Moses pursuing and not even eating food because God was filling him spiritually. They had all the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all the fleshly desires, and that was what they were rising up, dancing, playing, not working. The opposite. They chose food over fasting, drink over devotion, fun over faith, idolatry over intimacy with God. And isn't that the choice that all of us have all the time, isn't it? Say no to your flesh sometimes. Take something you really want to do. I'm not just talking about food. I remember a few years back, uh, I'm, you know, you guys know I like football. And I remember I was saved for three years. We were, at, we were living in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was, we were going to Central Church of God. We weren't, weren't in a Calvary at the time. And, and I remember they announced all the plans for their Sunday night service. And I was invited to a, you know, a Super Bowl party, mostly Christians, and God told me, don't go until you've gone to the house and worship me first. And we don't have a Sunday night service here, but we did there. And I just felt, and I said, yes, I'll go. And I remember I got there. It was in the third quarter. I still watched. But the Lord just told me, put me first. I know what you want to do. Die to what you want to do and do what I've asked you to do. And God will ask you to lay something aside. He might tell you to fast for a month from something you really enjoy. Why? Not because he wants to rob you, because he knows that he'll bring you closer to him. And it's weird. And when the Spirit of the Lord fell upon D.L. Moody, I love how uh, it's described. Uh, Ari Torrey tells us that after the Spirit of the Lord fell upon D.L. Moody, he was already saved, but he had this total enriched just spirit fallen upon him. He never desired anything else after that but the Lord and the wind souls. 
He didn't even care anymore after that. So God, don't worry. God will change your desires the longer you're with him. Like if Moses is hanging out with God, he's not, he's not the least bit tempted by the big party that everyone else is about to go attend. He's not tempted by that. I, I, I uh, went on ESPN the other day, and I, and, I, and I used to live in Miami. I went to college in Miami. You know, I was a bartender in college. Me and my wife did the whole South Beach scene. We, we, we were involved in all that stuff, hanging out in the Grove. And we had friends. We used to have friends that were wealthy. We had floor seats at the Miami Heat games. And I did all that stuff, and I clicked on ESPN because I still liked the Heat. And I saw that I watched a little 20-second clip of LeBron James and the Heat celebrating at this beautiful, posh nightclub on South Beach, and they arrived, him and Dwayne Wade arrived at 3 in the morning, at the, and you could see the way, and I felt sad for them. There is nothing more empty than the world's parties. When the champagne, the Dom Piranha, which they had like 150 bottles and all this stuff, it was like a big golden calf, but they had a golden trophy. And everyone was dancing around it and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And God looks down from heaven and says, what will it profit you if you could party like that every day of the year and go to hell? What really would it profit you? There's nothing there. But, and the club was all dark, and it is dark there. And there's nothing but darkness in those places. And yet this is what people will choose. And even in the body of Christ, people choose this stuff. Leonard Ravenhill said, entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. Entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. Some people have better video collections than they have of books that will actually edify and strengthen them. A.W. Tozer said, I believe that entertainment and amusements are the work of the enemy to keep dying men from know they're dying and to keep the enemies of God from remembering that they're enemies. Amuse them. Entertainment. Rise up to play. This is what happens. James tells us that, again, the people, they were led away by their own desires. It wasn't that these things were just all of a sudden popped up on the scene. The people have been craving them for years, even while they were slaves. They wanted to live like the Egyptians lived. And James tells us in James 1, 14 and 15, but each one is tempted. And when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, then when desire is conceived, it brings birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. And we'll look at that next week when we look at the consequences. Quick, quickly on Aaron for a second here. What about Aaron and his discouragement? This is very important for all of us as well. Aaron, he was weary. He was discouraged. You ever been there? You ever had the enemy just wear you down? Not so much not so much that you're desiring sin or you're craving. You just have the enemy wear you down. This is where Aaron was. He wasn't down with their sin. He didn't want to participate. He finally was fed up. Well, how do we know that this is the truth? Well, Moses says in the 21st verse, we're looking at next week's passages, but Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? Moses knew who the culprits were. He's like, I know they rode you hard. How did they do it? And then what Aaron's response is, for they said, um, he says, do not let your anger, uh, verse 22, Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people, but they are set for evil. Moses, Aaron says, you, you know them well. 
they'll wear anyone out. They hate God. <laughs> they like would kill me if I didn't make this calf. And possibly that's true. And he got worn down. And he got beaten down. And he got discouraged. And when you wear down, you give in to other people and their desires. That's why you have to be strengthened by the Lord. I could never pastor a church in my own strength. I'd have given up, thrown in the towel, whatever. I mean, so would you as parents and everything else. If you have a leadership position in the Lord, you must maintain your strength in Christ. Not in people saying, hey, you're doing a great job. Not in pats on the back. Not in what people think about you. They may not think anything good about Moses, but God is still using him. Amen? And it doesn't help you at all to get the strength from people because people, the same people who strengthen you will be the very ones to drag you down. And matter of fact, if they strengthen you, they think they have something on you. Well, I won't strengthen you anymore. Take that. We'll wear you down instead of strength. You, you get one or the other. Either you do what I say and I'll strengthen you, or you don't do what I say and I won't strengthen you. And if you say, we'll say, well, that's fine because I get my strength from God. That's what Aaron had, but he forgot. He, at whatever level, had slipped away from receiving daily his marching orders from God, his strength from the Lord, his strength from the Lord to tell him, hey, Moses is up here on an island with me, and if you have to remain on an island, do not, and I mean do not, if they want to build a calf, let them build one, but do not in any way. I don't care if you're discouraged with them, you tell them, thus saith the Lord, and if they decide to do it, it's on them, but don't participate in their sin, which he did. He got in the flesh and said, all right, fine, if this is really what you want, and it's a warning to all of us. Aaron still loved God. He loved God's truth. He loved God's holiness. But he had neglected his love for God personally. Again, he might have been trying to serve the people like crazy and forgot to serve God. He might have been running from tent to tent. Let me read to you. Let me read to you. Let me do this. Let me do that. Instead of himself spending that intimacy time with the Lord. Parents, you cannot just raise your kids in the Lord by just telling them the truth. You have to spend time with Jesus yourself. That is your strength. Matter of fact, when you do that, you'll have a Bible in your head that'll come out of your mouth, as opposed to, where's that verse? Uh, uh, I heard it like eight weeks ago, uh, you know, that kind of thing. You'll know these things, and you'll be able to teach because you have a personal walk with the Lord. It's always dangerous to have a knowledge of God rather than be strengthened in God. Aaron needed the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in his life, and that wasn't happening at this point. And he still tries to maintain his service to the Lord. You notice what he says. He says here, let's have a feast tomorrow to the Lord. We'll have a feast tomorrow to the Lord. He's still trying to, at the, on the one hand, he's discouraged with them, and he's still trying to do the right thing. It's a really lonely, discouraging place when you know you're not right with the Lord yourself, and you're trying to tell your kids, let's do the Bible study. Let's do this. Let's go to church. And your walk isn't genuine. 
and Aaron's feeling that discouragement. I guarantee it. We're going to have to actually stop, and I'm going to, I'm going to pick up uh, our third bullet point next, next week with the consequences because we're running out of time. But we'll stop there, and, and for whatever reason, perhaps the Lord wants you to hear more about the, displeasurement, uh, the displeasure and discernment. Uh, I don't want to gloss over that. There's too much real important stuff in what takes place in God and Moses' interaction and what the Lord is revealing to uh, Moses that we'll look at next week. Um, but again, for you and I, and, and maybe this is what the Lord really wanted to focus on more than anything else, you know, there's, the two, there's essentially the two types of falling away, right? Well, three. There's the people that you just finally, you're not walking with the Lord, and you just kind of ebb and flow with everybody else. Well, I guess since nobody else, you know, takes the time to pray, nobody else takes the time to witness, nobody else takes the time to, I'll just kind of run with the, the flow of everybody else. Then you have the people that are flat out rebellious, just flat out they are going for sin. They want it all like the prodigal son. They're going to go riotous living. They're going to spend all their inheritance. They're going to do it all, and they couldn't care less what God thinks. And then you have Aaron trying to hold it all up in his own strength. And I don't know which one of the three you are because I, there's the fourth option. You can be in Moses' camp and just, oh, I'm just hanging out with the Lord. I haven't eaten for 40 days and wouldn't know if it was four days or 40. I forgot what time it is I'm with the Lord so much, right? That Moses, this beautiful place, up above, with the Lord, in the throne room of God, then Aaron trying to do it all in his own strength, and the other two, one running for sin, the other one saying, well, I guess everybody else doing it that way, I guess we should too. All the other families are watching such and so TV show, I guess it's okay. I didn't know they were the standard setters. I thought the Lord was. But you can see that there's these different paths, and I know that you know there's only one you're supposed to choose. Amen? And Aaron, as much as he loves the Lord, would be the first to tell you if he got up to preach this message, he'd say, look, I blew it. I tried to do it in my own strength. I was even trying to serve people. I was even trying to serve God through serving people, but I... I lost my intimate relation with the Lord. And then when I lost my intimate relation with the Lord, as we talked about last week, he lost courage. And he started walking in fear and discouragement. And maybe that's you here this morning. Why don't we have the worship team come up?